morning. I'm going to invite you to turn into your Bibles to the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 11. And if you have been attending in the last year, you are thinking, Dan must be confused. We've already done Hebrews and chapter 11. I'm not confused. We have a plan. Uh, So just to to give us some context in what we are doing, um, starting next week, we will be uh, taking our time to study through Uh, the book of Genesis, the beginning of our Bibles. Um, If uh, if you're newer to the church, it is our our habit here uh, to take uh, books, individual books of the Bible, uh, and to uh, study through them over a period of time because uh, we know that the Word of God is profitable and useful, all of it. Uh, We want to be shaped and molded by all of what God's Word says, and so that is our habit. So we will begin Uh, at the beginning, next Sunday in Genesis. Um, But we have spent the past year studying the letter of the Hebrews. uh, And in chapter 11, in verse 3, which will be our focus this morning, um, we have a bridge that we are able to cross um, from this New Testament letter uh, back to Uh, the book of Genesis, and some of the things that we will study in the beginning of our Bibles uh, about the creation of all things, about God speaking all things into existence, about uh, origin of man and uh, purpose for life and uh, the reason why things are as messed up as we know that they are. Um, And so here in uh, Hebrews 11 verse 3, Uh, The author to these New Testament Christians, uh, he lays down a statement of uh, understood fact about faith uh, that will serve us as a bridge uh, to our study through through Genesis. And so this morning our focus will be uh, 11 verse 3, but I want to read starting in verse 1 um, to grab the context of what is going on there. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1, this is God's holy and authoritative word for his people. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we ask this morning through the power of your spirit, illuminating your holy word, that you might give us understanding that you must give us insight, that you might serve our minds and our hearts to know you more clearly, more fully, to honor you more wholly in our lives. 
for your glory and honor and for our great good. And so we ask, Lord, that you would meet us in this time by your spirit, uh, that you would serve us through your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The author of this letter uh, was burdened for the New Testament church, burdened for those who uh, had decided to follow Jesus Christ, his life teaching, uh, the, the testimony of the good news of the gospel, God sending Jesus to rescue sinners, to dedicate their lives to this, this message, this good news. And the author is burdened because those first century believers were in a context where uh, taking that step of faith to follow Jesus was being challenged was being challenged by their culture, was being challenged by their circumstances. They had circumstantial challenges of, of persecution and of difficulty and of, of uh, burden in their lives that made it hard to follow through this message. They came up against philosophical arguments, different teachings that would challenge their belief in trusting Jesus and following him for their whole lives. So this author pens a letter to these Christians, knowing that burden in their lives, the burden of, of holding on to faith, and he means to, to bolster them in it, right? He wants to come up underneath of them and to strengthen them and encourage them. And so again and again, as we studied through this letter this past year, we saw the author telling them to, to stand firm, right? To hold fast, to remain steadfast, and to persevere in, in faith, in what they believe in the midst of all of these challenges. The aim of this text has not changed over time for the church, the aim of this text continues uh, to, to want to encourage believers to hold fast to biblical faith, to hold fast to the trustworthy word and testimony of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of the challenges to that faith. So the aim of the text has not changed, and, and yet some of the challenges have taken on different shape. Today, the church, we as believers, we, we can face challenges to hold fast to believing this book, to living a life that is dedicated to following Jesus in all things. And so this, this morning, I pray and I believe that it is the intention of the Spirit and the Word of God is meant to strengthen you, to encourage you, to fill you, that faith is good and right and worthy of holding on to. That faith, faith even in this verse, faith to understand, this is our main point for this morning, faith to understand that God made all things, it gives us confidence then to trust God in all things. Do you see that connection there? That if we have faith to believe that, that God spoke all things into existence, that very faith should give us confidence then to trust him 
in all things, to trust him in all that he says. You with me? So, the crucial reality for that faith, and if you notice, that faith, it, it, it does work, right? It's meant to function. It's not just something we put on a page or on a mission statement on the website. It's, it's meant to change your Monday through Saturday, isn't it? That faith has to function in our lives, and the understanding of that, according to verse 3, is built upon and applied to the reality that God created the universe, that God made all things. And there is a challenge in our day, a challenge to this faith to believe that God has created all things. Is there not? Our culture, our culture would challenge us on that, wouldn't it? Most certainly. There is a, there is a predominant voice in our culture. And when I say predominant, I mean it is, it is the voice of the institutions. The voice of what has taken over the educational system and the policy making. The voice that says for someone to stand there and claim that God creates all things, uh, that's false. That's wrong. And that voice has been so loud over the course of so many years that it has begun to, to affect the majority of culture as well. It wasn't that long ago where the vast majority of people agreed that God created all things. That has changed. That has changed. Not as much as the institution would like, but it has changed. There are prominent voices in our culture. And what has, what has happened to us, the church, the believer, those who, who stand on, by, and live through faith, um, we have been challenged not just by uh, the ideas that make up faith, but challenged that faith itself is a foolish way to think and to operate. Let me read you some quotes from, from prominent voices that would espouse these ideas. Ernest Hemingway said, All thinking men are atheists. Carl Sagan, I don't want to believe, I want to know. Neil deGrasse Tyson, you've probably seen many YouTube videos with this gentleman. He said, God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance. And Richard Dawkins says this, Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. The main challenge to us by the culture, particularly against this verse, is the challenge for faith itself. To have a, a life built on a system that operates by faith is the great folly, as Dawkins put it, is, is the great cop-out. 
that it's, it's not merely a different way of thinking. Faith is no way of thinking at all. And so I don't know about you, but much of that voice I have heard and um, at times that has made me a little shaky, to be honest. I have personally kind of experienced this, this challenge and thought, mm, I'm not really sure how to stand up against those sorts of things at times. And so we, we need to understand where this is coming from because as uh, verse 3 tells us, it is vital for us to stand firm on faith, to live by faith. And so we need some solid ground to understand what faith is and how it operates. So first, let me, let me just uh, raise up for us where all of this, this voice is coming from, this worldview in our culture that challenges the very idea of faith. The, the main worldview could be called the, the naturalistic worldview or the materialistic worldview. Now, I have prayed a lot that as I go through this section, I won't lose you. I don't mean to lose you. Uh, I mean to help and serve. So the, the, the worldview of naturalism, this is a, a worldview um, that is the dominant atheistic worldview that says there is no God, no God that created the universe. Verse 3 of your Bible is complete foolishness because there is no God. All things are what we can observe in nature. Okay, the, the naturalistic worldview is a worldview completely built by what is observable in nature. This is uh, the origin of all things is the Big Bang Theory that many of us have heard. Many of us here have been taught that in school as well. Um, that all things uh, came from this event so many, 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 many years ago. Um, that caused the observable universe as we know it, an evolutionary process over time to bring all things to the state of where they all are now. That life is how this has all come about. And so nature is all that there is, what we can observe in time, in space, and in matter. Only the natural universe exists. Carl Sagan summed up this worldview in this way. He says, the cosmos, the things, the stuff, the cosmos is all that there is or was or ever will be. That is the baseline of this worldview. That's where they stand. And so we have to ask, okay, well, what, what do you mean then by this natural worldview, this, this nature they mean whatever can be studied, analyzed by natural or empirical sciences. It just means the things that you can observe with your senses. That's all that exists. Only what you can see, touch, smell, taste, feel. All of that composes all that there is in all of existence. And so the the prominent text 
is the consensus of science, right? What science says is what we can know. All that can be measured and observed and tested is all that we can discern and understand. This is where all knowledge comes from. A worldview that holds to scientism, where science goes from a little s to a big S in their understanding. Does that make sense? What's interesting is uh, this is kind of the institutional baseline for that, but uh, the, the popular kind of laying hold of this worldview, it doesn't hold to that so hard and fast. Because once you believe that all that there is, is what is in the physical, uh, you run into some problems. Because we know. We know by our lives and our experience that there is more than just the physical. We know by how we experience life and relationships and love and understanding, emotions and so many other things. It is so much beyond this naturalistic worldview, which is why so many in our culture, the popular belief that, uh, that the Big Bang is the, the thing, the source of creating all things, and the majority of our culture agrees to that, and yet the majority of our culture also says that there, there probably is a God. There's some confusion out there. Let's see a little bit how this worldview breaks down, because I think it serves us. The worldview of naturalism, it fails on many levels, but let me just point out a few. The first one is that if you believe in naturalism, purely physical existence, then you, can, you cannot hold to any, any normative judgments. What do I mean by that? It means that you cannot stand in a place where you can judge something to be either good or evil, right or wrong. Because if all there is, is the physical realm, the observations, then science is, is merely an, an observational, a descriptive discipline. Science makes no judgments. It merely says what things are and how they behave. So the naturalist who holds to it closed-fisted can, can never stand in a place to make a judgment of what is right and wrong. My apologetics teacher, when I was at Pastors College, gave us this analogy. He said, science, so physics. Physics can explain what would happen to your skull if I were to drop a brick from the balcony onto your head. But physics can never say whether that is good or bad. I'm sure you have an opinion on it. But the naturalist worldview has no place to stand and judge whether that would be a good thing or a bad thing. The physical universe, the cosmos, is all that there is. So it fails on any kind of normative level to say that things are good, bad, right, wrong. Science also fails um, because it has no explanation for understanding uh, some of the ways that science needs to function in its own practice. Science itself has to function 
on some moral value, doesn't it? For science to make claims, it has to say that those claims are true. Well, in order for it to say that claims are true, it has to determine that the scientist is being honest. But honesty cannot exist in a naturalistic worldview in and of itself. Because honesty is a moral operation. There's no reason to do that other than for self-promotion and prominence. It fails on the uniformity of nature through space and time. What do I mean by that? Science assumes that all things will behave uniformly no matter where they are or when they are. But that is not a scientific observed reality. That's an assumption. And you can't assume things if all that you believe that exists are the things that are right before you that you can observe. It's a self-defeating argument. Science, naturalism cannot explain the existence of the cosmos. And you might say, well, hold on a second. Don't they say that the Big Bang is what started everything? That many, many years ago, all that we know, all the matter that we have in our universe was concentrated down into a small, small, measurable thing that held all the matter in all the universe in a tiny little dot that was incredibly heavy. And it spun and spun and spun and then exploded. And then over billions of years, that explosion caused what we have right now. That does explain something. But it fails to explain where that tiny dot came from. Because if all that there is, is the physical matter, there's no explanation for where that matter came from. The naturalist will condescendingly say, oh yes, in the beginning there was God and God created all things. But the naturalist has only one place to stand in that same argument. In the beginning was the dot. With nothing further to back up. In fact, many naturalists have decided that that dot was just one of many times that it has happened. That there are an infinite number of times that the universe has compressed and exploded and compressed and exploded. But that's just a way of punting that argument further back with no way to explain its existence in the first place. Naturalism has no way to explain the orderliness of our universe. How things work and fit together in such an orderly manner. Because if the physical is all there is, an evolutionary process is just random chance, then they are left to say that all of that orderliness, how things fit together and function in ecosystems and in biology and chemistry, how they all work together, is all processes over many, many years of random chance occurrences that line up perfectly like dominoes. Talk about faith. This, this fine-tuning that we see in our universe, in the cosmos, they have no way to account for that. For the intelligent design of DNA, the 
the amazing amount of information compacted into what we have discovered in, in DNA. This, uh, as Bill Gates said, it's like a software program that, that accounts for so much information. No way to, to tie those things back, but stretch time infinitely. There are gaps in the fossil record that are unexplainable. There are miraculous events that the naturalist is only left to claim are an illusion. In fact, they're only left to claim that anything that isn't physical is an illusion. All of our lives and how we experience outside of the physical, the ability to, to love, to have compassion, illusory things, not real. There is much, much more that could be argued to reveal the flaws of the worldview of, of naturalism, of materialism. But what I want to focus on is this present denial that we have that this worldview has against the reality of faith. Why is it? Why is it that this worldview that dominates our institutions is so against the idea of faith itself? When it, when it really fails to see, it's either ignorant or willingly denying that so much of its own worldview operates on faith as it likes to claim. That's what naturalism does. In all the ways that it can't answer the questions, uh, it applies what they might say assumptions, but we would say, well, that's just faith. To fill in the gaps. What I've come to realize is that uh, there is a willing suppression that is going on in this worldview. I thought that that seems too simplistic, uh, but once again, the word of God helps us to understand. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul records these words in verse 18 and 20, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. They suppress the truth in ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now, what, now what do we mean by that? Ungodliness and unrighteousness. Is it, is it unrighteous of them to believe these things and to argue for these things? Why are they suppressing the truth? Well, you need to suppress the truth in order to suppress accountability. At the root of it all, we know, as the Bible teaches, the human heart wants what? It wants what it wants. It wants its self-ruling autonomy. It wants to 
do whatever it wants to do, to believe whatever it wants to believe, and to live out from under the rule of anything but its own rule itself. At the very root of these worldviews that deny the existence of God is to push away any accountability. It is to suppress the truth because men love their ungodliness and men love their unrighteousness. Even though God has made it plain to them. This is why in those quotes I read earlier, there, there is not just a little hint of condescendence, isn't there? Not just a little bit. That to attack faith is not just the logical argument of reason, but it's, it's, it's a tone of condescendence because in it is a suppression of truth to push away the accountability of a holy God who rules over his creation. Now, with that being said, we must understand if we are to take verse three, verses one to three seriously, what faith actually is. And what I wanna help us do uh, is, is to stand firm against some of those quotes that I read earlier. That faith is not a cop-out and faith is not an unthinking reaction. Faith is reasonable. Faith itself is reasonable. That the world of science is not opposed to the realm and reality of faith. That, that's, that's what a lot of our culture has come to believe, right? You have your faith, I'll take my science. Listen, science was God's idea. Science is the detailed observing of his world, of what he has made. Faith and science are not against each other. They cohere together. Science is this wonderful discipline that can propel us into the world that God has created for a purpose, for a reason. So let, let's, let's talk about faith as being reasonable first. This argument uh, that comes against us, that, that faith itself is, in, is irreasonable, is just foolish, is unscientific, uh, is an attack against faith itself. But science and faith work together. They are reasonable. Let me talk about uh, this. Let me find it. Here we go. Okay. Biblical faith is reasonable. Reasonable faith. So first of all, let's consider the ability to reason itself. What do I mean by reason? I mean to think about things. To think about things as they are and to ask the questions why. That ability in itself is a non-physical ability, isn't it? To reason itself. We can think, we can process, we can put together, we can ponder existence. We can make judgments about the things that we observe. We do this all the time, don't we? We reason constantly and we reason at a level that no other species in our planet is able to reason at. We ponder simple things. We ponder 
existential questions. We balance decision-making. We reason our way through life. We can, even, we can even have the ability to reason why we reason. In fact, that's what we're doing right now, if you didn't fall asleep yet. We are incredibly complex thinkers beyond just the physical things in front of us. James Anderson talks about this thing this way. He says, how do we account for this truly remarkable human ability, this indispensable feature of our lives? The ultimate reality is a rational reality. And God is the supreme intellect. Since God is both perfect and personal, he knows and understands all truths. More than that, God knows and understands how every truth relates to every other truth. What this means is that our universe has its source in a rational mind. It means that all that we can observe through science has rational connections because it was all created by the supreme intellect to be built upon the very faculties of rationality so that we can ponder and think and reason. To reason itself is to understand that what our world is made of is far beyond the physical attributes that we can observe. And faith itself is, a, is the act of that reasoning, of that understanding. See, the naturalist would argue that the faith that religious people have is just blind faith, right? You're just choosing to think things and believe things without doing the intellectual work of thinking these things through. And the Bible says, no, 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 that's not faith at all. Faith is, is reasoned thinking about the reality before us. Our, our text tells us in verse 3 that this reasoned faith is a faith that understands. Look at that language. By faith, it doesn't say we blindly believe the universe was created by the word of God, does it? It says by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. The word that's used there for understand is the word that means to, to gain insight through careful thought. Modern science wants to say that there is nothing that is outside of visible things. But we must ask, where did all these visible things come from? We've already argued that, right? The believer says... What is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Not blindly, but out of understanding, out of reasoned, processed thinking. Logical connections. Because God, God is the originator of all things. God has made all things. Verse 1 tells us that faith not only is reasoned understanding, but faith is a Conviction. Look up at verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of what? Things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. That word for conviction is the word for 
for evidence, evidence for truth. It's, it's a proving of what? Things not seen. These things that science observes, time, space, and matter. Faith comes in and is this conviction that there are things beyond what is observable by science. See, that's one of the problems with the naturalistic worldview. Again, it cannot account for the organization of time, space, and matter. All that is fit together so well. It cannot account for the abundance and dependence of life. Have you noticed? Have you noticed how much life exists out there? Oftentimes we just drive by it, right? But when we stop and look closely at our world, at our creation, and see the abundance of life that is taking place, and then you pause and you ponder that life and you see how all of it is organized and fitting together so well and functioning in processes that you could study for a lifetime. Random chance? Supreme intellect spoken into existence to proclaim his work. This word that God has spoken, created, it carries this ordering and purposing of all things. Faith gives us this conviction, this evidence to prove these things, that all that we see was not made by random chance. Verse 1 tells us that faith is also assurance. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This, this word here means it's a foundation for confidence. Faith is the reasonable application of strong confidence in the things that are not seen. That which is not observable. See, the author, he wants the original readers to be brought confidence in faith, a faith that endures the challenges of their day. These verses are meant to encourage us this morning to endure the challenges of our day, to see that faith, faith is reasonable because faith is understanding, faith is conviction, faith is assurance and trust. That things that we observe, things that we see that are created are not made by things that we can see, but that God has made all things. And we are convinced by the truth of his word. Now the rest of this chapter, the author sets off to give numbers of examples of what faith then does in our lives. He gives examples of faith in action. You see, the Christian worldview, the belief that God created all things by his word, is a faith that is livable. It is meant to operate and shape how we live our lives. 
And so the rest of the chapter gives us examples of faith in action. When you settle that verse 3 is true, that by faith you have an assured, convinced understanding that God created the universe by his word, then that faith is meant to function as the operating reality in your life. Do you see how that connects? Think about it this way. If I believe that everything I have ever known, everything that I have ever seen or heard or touched or tasted or smelled, all of the reality of my life, if I believe that all of that was brought into order and existence by the word of God, the purposeful, powerful, ruling word of God, then it is only consistent that my life would be shaped and ordered and purposed by that same word. Do you see? Do you see what that belief does? It changes your Tuesday. It changes the decisions that you will make. It changes the things you will pursue in your life. Because you think and know and understand and are convinced and assured that that powerful, purposeful word has created all things, then that word has power and purpose for your life. To shape it and to mold it, and to live under it. God speaks all things into existence by that ruling power, and so God speaks over our lives. How will you live? How will you operate? What will you trust? Verse 3 says, if that's where you stand, then that word of God is the purposeful, powerful, ruling operation in your whole life. Now, we have to lay hold of the why for all of that, right? What is the purpose then of verse 3? If we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, then we have to ask the question, why is that so? What is the point? What is the purpose of it all? The Bible says, the glory of God. All of it. All of it is pointing our attention to the magnificent, awesome reality of God himself. Creation cries out glory to God. The psalmists cannot help but sing this song over and over again, can they not? Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare what? The glory of God and the sky above 
proclaims his handiwork. What does each day do? Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Knowledge of what? The glory of God. What is the glory of God? We use that word a lot in church, don't we? The glory of God. It is the word that we use that tries to capture the very nature and essence of the reality of God, of who he is. And the only way that that we can do that with language, the only way that God can reveal that is just to point out that he is awesome, that he is beyond, that he is above, that he is bigger than, that he is majestic, that he is marvelous. We, we try and piece together letters to form words in order to, to communicate the reality of God himself. And God says, I'll give you some language, but you know what else I'm going to give you? The universe. For my glory. So that you can see. Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host, he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. That's the ordering of all things. And then it says this. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Do you know why you were made? To stand in awe of him. To be enamored. To be stunned by God. To walk out of your front door. Use science and observe and stand in awe of the one who breathed it into existence. That's why we're here. You see, the natural scientists, they have the ability to explain in much greater detail the intricacies, the biology, the chemistry, the, the ecology of of that pond in the back of the church property. They can unpack for me the, that ecosystem and the way all things work together and how they function in much greater detail than I can. But if he doesn't know the point and purpose of it, then he doesn't know it like I know it because I know why it's there crying out, glory be to God. That's faith that is reasoned and understood and assured and convinced. And believer, we also must grasp the greatest display of the power and purpose 
of creation of the word of God. The greatest display of God speaking powerfully and purposely to put on display his glory. And Colossians chapter one captures this greatest display in these words. It says he, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. Jesus Christ, God become man, sent to this world to rescue sinners, taking their place on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God, to take our punishment, that we might be reconciled to the creator of all things in relationship with him for all eternity by blood spilled by the Son of God, raised to vindicate this glorious substitute. All things were created in him and through him and for him. He is the preeminent display of glory on which we must always stand in awe because he did it for you and he did it for me. This faith then that understands that God made all things, oh, it's a faith. It's a faith that can have confidence to trust God in all things. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we marvel at you and what you have made and what you have done. We marvel that you have decided to reveal yourself throughout the universe and all that we can observe and to reveal yourself in your holy, authoritative, trustworthy word. This very word that brought all things into existence. This very word that brought every one of us into existence. We are in awe of you. We ask, Father, that by the truth of your word and the work of your spirit, that you would encourage us in an understanding, reasoned faith for these things. That we might walk by this faith. That we might live by this faith. That we might come under this powerful and purposeful word and live our lives by it for your glory and for our great joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.